This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this, this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Here's your host, Christian Tervish. Welcome to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and we're here for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. The purpose of my show is to explore how work will change in times of globalization and digitization. Now, as consumers, we oftentimes need to talk to the companies that we do business with. We might want to call our bank to refinance our house. We might want to change our cell phone plan, or we might ask a question about our latest utility bill. On the other side, however, the corresponding banks, telecoms, or utility companies might not want to talk to us. Not that they don't like us, but for a number of reasons, many large companies have decided to outsource customer engagement to third-party providers. This setup has given rise to a large industry of business services. Companies in this space specialize in running contact centers for customer care, technical support, or telemarketing. The employees sit in large call centers, spending their time talking or chatting with people like you and me. What does this work look like, and how is technology changing us? This is what I want to find out in my show today. To help me understand this topic, I have two wonderful guests. Chris Crowley is the chief commercial officer of Alorica, the company that executes more than 600 million customer engagements per year. And in the second half of the show, I will talk to Niti Mehta, the co-founder of Automation Anywhere, a firm that uses AI with the aim to transform customer service operations. At this point, welcome, Chris. Hi. Uh, thank you, Christian. Thank you for having me on the show. Hey, Chris. As consumers, I'm sure many of us have talked to an Alorica employee without knowing it. Uh, give us a sense of the breadth of services that you provide. Sure, sure. Um, so, first of all, in the outsourcing space, there's a lot of different services that you can uh, that, that can be outsourced. Uh, any kind of business process can actually be outsourced to uh, a company if it's not a core competency of the of the company that is actually providing the the end service to the um, uh, to the consumer. Um, but in our uh, space, we we primarily are in the contact center space. So the outsourcing uh, services that customers would come to us for, or, or our clients would come to us to support their customers for, would be services around sales services where not outbound sales where you're calling to telemarket, but uh, uh, services where you're responding and you want to you want to sign up for a service or you want to get onboarded for a service. Um, the core part of our business is the customer care uh, activity, where as a customer of these clients, uh, they many times have um, questions about the services and questions about the product, and we provide that customer care. Um, and then technical support, where there may be a technical issue with, with a product or a service that you've purchased from that um, from that. Um, company, um, and we provide the technical um, fix issues and and technical expertise to support that. And then finally, at the kind of the end of the revenue cycle, uh, there's receivable management services. So if you buy a, a service from a company, uh, they expect you to pay for it, and sometimes that doesn't always happen. And we provide the the receivables management services that go around that. So we really look at our our services as being the contact services that support the entire revenue life cycle for for our clients. And Chris, I mentioned the uh, 600 million engagements um, that you execute. Uh, can you give us a sense of the, the scale of your operations, how many transactions, how many employees, where these people are? 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so in our space, um, we're one of the largest companies in our space. So um, we have over 100,000 employees um, that work for us all over the globe. Um, we actually have we're actually one of the the core competencies of our services is that we um, we provide more work in the domestic market than the majority of the outsourcers. So forty five thousand of our employees that support our clients' customers are actually located in the United States, um, and then the other fifty five thousand are are supported out of our nearshore, which would be Latin America, Caribbean uh, areas, as well as Europe and Asia um, that we provide services out as well. Obviously, India and um, and uh, the Philippines are core competency areas for this type of outsourcing services. So we have big operations, specifically in the Philippines, with our business. Um, and uh, and and so, from a scale perspective, we have 100,000 uh, employees and 14 countries and 130 locations that we do business uh, around the world. And Chris, you mentioned that most of your work is inbound in the sense that you're receiving calls. You're less involved in the outbound telemarketing business? Yeah. So so as the industry, this industry has been around since the late 80s, early 1990s. And as, as the business has really expanded and grown and matured, um, the requirements for outbound calling have become less and less. So you have less of the kind of what I would call stereotypical view of a contact center um, calling you at dinner time or calling you at an inconvenient time to purchase a service. The majority of the business that we do, almost exclusively the business that we do, is going to be probably four different ways for a customer to uh, contact the company that they're doing business with. The first and the most prevalent one uh, would be the voice channel. So even though uh, as things have changed, voice is still the predominant way that most individuals uh, will contact the companies that they're doing business with. But what we've seen, especially over the last, I would say, you know, five to seven years, um, uh, transactions around chat, uh, transactions around email, and even communication through social media platforms uh, have been uh, ways that uh, consumers are more comfortable uh, in in communicating with the companies that they're doing business with. So uh, in that scenario, we support all of that in an omni-channel environment, and that's the majority of the transactions that we take, uh, that, that we handle today. Talk about what your customers are looking for when they come to you. So, you know, we're at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm sure we have some uh, challenges here operationally with customer contact centers. Big accounts like corporations with tens of thousands of employees, when they approach you, what, what type of services are they looking for? Yeah, well, well first of all, they come... They come, before they even look for a service, they've kind of got a, um, what I would say, a thesis of what they're looking to accomplish. So, um, you, you know, the way I always look at this this business is that if it was easy enough for them to do it internally, they would do it internally. So there's there's typically a business issue that is driving um, them to look for a partner, um, and I, and it comes in a variety of flavors. So um, the the easiest one to understand because I think that's the way that a lot of people or the most simplistic way that people will make decisions on, uh, on, on buying a product or looking for a product is to, is to reduce cost. Um, so they will come, and given the fact that we have a global, scalable organization that can provide um, services around the world, uh, we typically can provide um, a similar service at a reduced cost than what they can do internally. 
But that's just one of the reasons that companies look uh, for an outsourcer. Um, domain expertise in, uh, to improve performance is typically an area where they will have as a primary reason to look for an outsourcer outsourcer. So whether it be customer care, whether it be uh, uh, sales and onboarding a client, whether it be technical expertise, or whether it be uh, in, uh, in receivables management, they will make the determination that they do not have the domain expertise within their organization to be able to provide that service at the level at the level of performance they want. So they'll look at companies like an Alorica uh, and say, this company seems to have strong expertise in that in that area, and then and we'll we'll engage from that perspective. Um, another one is is expense is that and not just cost. Um, a lot of companies to be more efficient are always looking to move fixed expenses to a variable expense. So when you can outsource large components of your business, you're moving that that business from an area where you have to provide the facility, the technology, the um, the the refresh of of systems, uh, as well as people and the benefits that go along with the people that you employ to a variable contract where they're paying us for the service and we take those uh, those fixed costs as part of our business. So there's a big benefit for companies to, to move from a fi- fixed cost um, uh, uh, environment to a variable cost environment. Um, certainly, I, I kind of talked about scale and flexibility. Scale and flexibility is, is, is an area that they're looking for. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then, you know, process improvement. So uh, a lot of times, um, companies just don't have the um, the blueprint of how to run uh, a business the most effective way, and and we have consultants and business managers that are focused on the process improvement of what happens in every type of transaction across sales, customer care, technical support, and receivables management, and so you can really improve the process and bring some real efficiencies to the business by outsourcing. So uh, that's the way. That's the, those are the primary ways. Um, that that clients will initially engage with us when they're looking for uh, support from an outsourcer. Now, Chris, as you mentioned, this this whole movement of business process outsourcing has been going on really since the 80s or the 90s. Um, when you now get contacted by a customer, do you mostly see that you are still competing in your bid against an in-house solution, or has that market matured to the point where you're just basically a couple of years have gone by and they're just looking for yeah. another business process outsourcing service? Well, yeah, so that's a great question because uh, the business has changed fairly significantly, right? Like, so, uh, and uh, I'll give you kind of a longer answer to this because I think it's important is that, you know, this industry started out in the 80s and the 90s, and it was really kind of an entrepreneurial type of an industry. So companies would just be looking at doing certain projects that they may need some help with, and it was just kind of like a, stag, a staff augmentation or maybe a project-based type of environment. Um, but they, but it wasn't a core part of the partners that companies typically would partner with in a strategic way on a long-term basis. Um, over the last 20 years, and I've been in this industry, I started in this industry in 1997, uh, so I'm, I'm going on my 22nd, uh, 22nd year uh, of, uh, of business in this area. Um, now this business is much more mature and, and, and managed by the organizations that outsource, and it's a core requirement of partner type of companies that they need to allow them to scale 
and scale their business in an efficient and a profitable way. So I've seen over the last 20 years a significant change in the way that our customers would actually engage or our clients would actually engage with us and the importance and the scale and the volume and the strategic nature of the way that they engage. So when we look at what are we replacing, we're replacing right now really um, companies that have not been able to perform at the level that they need to from a partner perspective for our clients. So it's more of business that has already been outsourced, but companies who are doing it are not able to meet the requirements that are that, that are necessary in, in a strategic relationship versus just a project relationship. That's probably about 75% of the work that, uh, that, that, that we win or the work that we do today. And then there's, there is still about a quarter of the work where there is new projects and new activities that as companies utilize outsourcing as a core, uh, as a, as a core resource to run their companies, there's, tr- there's continually new business that is, that is being brought from within the four walls of our, of, of our clients out into an outsourcing environment. So, th- so three out of every four deals that we're doing are probably competing against our competitors and getting a higher level of wallet share uh, and a higher level of, of business from, from companies that are already outsourcing and about a quarter of it are companies that are either moving business outside for the first time or moving a segment of business outside for the first time. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Christian Tavish, and I'm chatting with Chris Crowley, who is Chief Commercial Officer of Alorica, a business process outsourcing firm with over 100,000 employees that execute some 600 million transactions on a yearly basis. We talked a little bit about really a form of industry consolidation, right, where like in the 80s, 90s, there were many kind of mom-and-pop kind of call centers running around, and now basically there seems to be a drive to strategic partnerships and, and scale. Um, now, when you're contracting with your clients, what, what type of metrics do you put in your contract? As With customer contact centers, I would imagine there's some elements of wait time you agree on, first-time resolution sure. rates. What, what is kind of the typical contract look like yeah. beyond just fulfillment costs? Yeah, so, so again, this is another area of evolution that has absolutely um, raised the bar on what is expected and also I think that is a direct benefit to um, to the employees that work in this environment as well as the um, the, the consumers that are uh, the customers of, of our clients. So as with every contract, you're going to have what we call SLA or service level agreements that are going to be um, associated with the nuts and bolts of running the project, like up times and call handle times and and um, uh, and wait times and those types of things. Any top outsourcer like an Alorica has to that that has to just be table stakes. You have to deliver on that day in day out without any type of variation or any type of error. What clients are really looking for and what they're, they're willing to pay for and what, and, and what um, differentiates us um, or, or others from their competitors is the ability to create a great customer experience. So we, we, we um, measure uh, customer experience through you know, your traditional net promoter scores. We'll, we, we will um, measure uh, customer experience through data analytics. Um, we will measure customer experience through utilizing uh, digital technologies to look for dead times and inefficiencies within the call. 
We'll do all of this to ensure that the most efficient, the most effective, and the most desirable um, uh, call is handled by our agents on a regular basis. And that's really how they reward. That's really how companies uh, reward outsourcers today is who can drive that net promoter score and that high level of customer experience um, with the people that are that are dealing with their brand. And so that's some of the exciting things because rather than just like running a scorecard based on metrics, you're now running a scorecard that's based on on really experience and, and the interactions between the employees and the uh, and, and the consumers. Now, Chris, you mentioned this. I mean, one of the value proposition of business process outsourcing has been moving fixed costs into variable costs. I think as consumers, we oftentimes believe like, well, it's just a phone call that's just like 50 cents or so in fulfillment costs. But can you give us a sense when we as consumers call an airline to rebook a flight, when we want some old account statements from our bank, say I'm engaging in a in a five-minute-long call with, 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 with a company, what are typical call center fulfillment costs for a five-minute call with a reasonably skilled agent? Yeah, uh, sure. Um, so that's a little bit more difficult a question because there's so many, um, there's so many variables to that. Um, so um, if it's very simple, I think you've seen this too, and I'm, I'm sure your listeners um, uh, have, have seen this as well. The, the more simple the transaction, the more um, companies want to digitize that transaction. So, um, so the best way to be able to um, handle a reservation is by pushing it to the website and handling that with a chat agent that could support them if they were not able to um, if they were not able to uh, uh, do it themselves. That's a great way to do it because it's a very low cost. I mean, there's there's almost there is almost no transactional cost associated with them doing it themselves online. And even if you put a chat agent in there, you could probably do that for about a I would say probably a third to half the price that's associated with a voice call. However, if you're talking about a call where you say, "Okay, for this situation, I've got to call this." Um, I've got to call this uh, individual, and they wa- I want to do this call in the United States. You're probably looking for a five-minute call. That's probably going to be about a $3.50 transaction. And so our goal as a, a company that is in this business is how do we improve the customer experience, and at the same time, if it was a five-minute call, is there ways that we can look for efficiencies um, in that call to drive that to a four-minute call so that it only costs three dollars for our customer, right? And be and 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 those are the ways that we're that that we're able to um, to provide those those services. Or maybe it'd be like you know I'd say it'd probably be a four-minute call would be closer to two dollars and eighty cents, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Those are the those are the ways that I, I want to uh, that we try to um, uh, to bring efficiencies to the call cost. Now the other thing is is that if that cost is too much to support the product, and it always has to be aligned with the product, your support cost has to be some level of value with that product. You can then also look at not only digital, but you can look at offshore and you can look at nearshore, which maybe has a, a smaller cost basis. But if you were going to do that call in the, in the United States. 
and it was a five-minute call. It's probably going to cost about three dollars and fifty cents for uh, for the company to provide that service to the consumer. And Chris, you you described, if I heard that correctly, that about fifty uh, percent of that could go down if you would make it chat-based. Yeah. If you're doing a chat, because what you could do is you could, you, you can do simultaneous chats. Mm -hmm. So, um, so uh, where you maybe only be able to do one call. Well, you would be only be able to do one call because it's live and it's and and it's linear. Uh, in a chat environment, you could do somewhere between oh, you could do maybe 1.25 all the way up to two chats uh, at, concurrently. Um, so you're going to get that cost savings that's associated with it. Quite fr quite often too, um, the chat transaction will be shorter than the voice transaction, so you get the benefit of that um, aspect as well, because typically in a chat transaction, they're already initiating with you through some kind of digital platform anyway, typically your website, um, and, and some of the work that you would have to gather in a voice call is already going to be completed in a chat call. Now, you clearly have scale economies by, by, by serving many clients, so if I'm imagining a, a reasonably skilled operator in one of your call centers, That person is turning around from handling an incoming call that is directed to a bank towards the next minute that person is the agent for a utility company or how much flexibility is there within one agent? Yeah, so uh, the flexibility is a little bit different than that. So. In a highly professional, you know, the business that we do, uh, where these are um, committed contracts of services and 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 resources and technology that are associated with with each of the contracts we do, we do very little um, uh, sharing of agents between um, relationships. So. Um, so there's very little of that agent share between potentially a financial services client and then like a telecommunications client. What we do though to 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 create um, value as far as the uh, as far as the the scale that we've invested in, um, we will have a majority of our of our um, of our employees are omni-channel. Um, multifaceted uh, um, agents. And so those individuals will have the ability to handle, in some cases, voice, chat, email, and social media all at one time because they're working off of the same contact management system where all interactions are actually tracked. So if you were to interact with me um, in a chat session, And then you were to make a call, and I answered that call, or whoever answered that call, that person who picked up that call will have the interaction and the background on what occurred during that chat session. So by doing that, since voice is very linear, and you can only do one voice call at a time, you have inherent downtime. Our voice, our voice employees and associates are able to um, also do chat and email and social uh, media monitoring and support during the times that they're not handling calls. And that's the way you pick up efficiency. It also helps with, with employee satisfaction, and it also helps uh, with client satisfaction or, or customer satisfaction for our clients because you've got one system that people know no matter how I contact you, I'm going to have all that information uh, that has already been provided, so I don't, have to pro I don't have to repeat and provide additional information. And the employees are not always doing one type of transaction time and time again and not having downtimes and lulls and that type of st uh, those types Types of things during uh, during the day, so that's the way that we get the efficiencies out of the scale that we have. 
What I love about this example as the operations professor here is that you can run your contact center, say, at 50, 60, 70 percent utilization on calls, be responsive to the incoming calls. And then rather than incur the idle time, you can have less time. I guess chat is still very time critical, but email or social media, I guess if somebody has to wait for a couple of minutes there, it's more forgiven. And so you can just pull these type of work streams together, right? Yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. So uh, it's it's just, you know, it's like in uh, when you take, uh, um, you know, uh, economics, right? It's that you're getting more, um, you're getting more utilization out of the same resource. Um, and you're doing it in a way that doesn't impact negatively the other work that's being done by that resource. So um, it, you get higher seat utilization, you get higher employee utilization, and you get higher um, overall facility utilization by doing it that way. You also provide benefits to your clients because a client that can provide us those different types of transactions it, we we're, we have more flexibility in our pricing and how we uh, and how we work with them in a contract basis because we have more ways uh, to, uh, to to fulfill uh, the, the 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 inefficient gaps that we may may have in other types of projects uh, in, in 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 an area where you can do an omni-channel type of environment. So so yeah, your your assessment there is right. That's that's exactly the way you want to run a contact center. So Chris, as uh, somebody with a hundred thousand employees and the skills of really, you know, combining voice streams and chat streams and social media work. What is your take on on, on kind of the advancements in, in bots? Uh, basically, if you think about, I mean, Google's virtual assistant that was kind of shown last year or two years ago, the ability of, of kind of Siri, Alexa, kind of talking like human beings. Is that something which you see like playing into your cards or is that something where you feel like, that would potentially disrupt the nature of our business. No, we've we've already incorporated it into our business. So um, we we have uh, automated services uh, in our business, um, just like a Siri um, or a Google Assist. That as transactions come in, they assist the um, the associate uh, that is handling the calls. Um, so when the call when a call would come in or a transaction would come in, more likely over a chat or more likely over in in, in an email, um, if it is not something that a employee needs to provide a unique answer to, that can be handled by um, any of the technologies that we have from a, from a RPA or from an AI perspective. And, uh, um, and, and those are very effective. And what we've seen is, is that the very, very simple transactions will be automated, but there are, most of those are already automated before they even get to us, right? So, so we're not that concerned on on that. Most of the transactions that get to us is because there's a fallout, and we call it a digital workbench. Any type of digital environment has um, some is- inefficiencies that fall out that need human interaction, and that's where we really provide those services. So, you know, there there'll be companies. Um, and I would, you know, companies. Let, let me uh, in the in the uh, peer-to-peer um, transfer transportation uh, area. Companies like an Uber, companies like a Lyft, companies even like a DoorDash or a Grubhub or those types of companies. Right? Those types of companies always have fallout, um, even though the technology should be able to solve all of the interaction between the consumer 
and the and the provider of services, but they have tons of fallout that need to be handled um, by a human. That's what we call digital workbench fallout, and those are the things that we that we address. Um, so what we see is that our agents of the future will be digitally enhanced. They will be, have the tools to allow them to be more efficient in managing the call or chat um, uh, uh, flow or the social media flow. And they will also be able to automate some of the more simplistic uh, uh, transactions that don't need human interactions. And then that gives our client. And then, as we become more efficient with that, it gives our clients the ability to then move more complex type of transactions to us. Because really, the goal here is for any company is to try to utilize the resources that you have, both internally and externally, to make the most to, to run the most efficient business. And so, when we have opportunities for additional, uh, or we have um, what I would say, the ability to handle more work because we've become more efficient in the work that we're doing for our clients, our clients will, will, will oftentimes reward us with more work that what, and that's kind of the 25% that I talked about before, will reward us with new work that hasn't been outsourced before that they'll now move into that environment. Typically, it was more complex and, they'll, and, and, and that gets them to a more efficient type of environment because they have less and less in that fixed internal type of environment. An exciting vision by Chris Crowley, the Chief Commercial Officer of Alorica, a company that executes more than 600 million customer engagements per year with over 100,000 employees. Thank you so much, Chris. We need to take a short break right now. When we come back, I will welcome my second guest for today, who is going to be Niti Mehta, the co-founder of Automation Anywhere, a firm that uses AI with the aim to transform customer service operations. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow. I'm Christian Tevish, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM. We will be right back. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.